Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Uh, for those of you who are our guests this morning, I too just want to greet you. Thank you for being with us. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Trinity, and it's my privilege to preach God's word. The title this morning is Doctrine That Lands in Our Living Room. So we've kind of been using that phrase a little bit <clears throat> in our series here in Titus. And this is where, chapter 2 is really where that starts to unpack for us, what we're talking about when we say that. Now, by show of hands, how many of you have ever followed what you would consider to be a false teacher? Good number of us. All right. Good number of us. Paul writes to Timothy, sorry, Paul writes to Titus to put things in order there in Crete by dealing with the false teachers that are among them. Um, Can I encourage you, when you think of the book of Titus, sometimes the book of Titus just kind of sits on the shelf a bit in our minds. Don't let this little letter just sit somewhere in the back of your Bible. Can I just, from the outset, tell us, you need this little letter. We need this little letter at Trinity. We live in a day of false teachers, scandals, broken lives, unqualified pastors, sexual misconduct among leaders, All this and much, much more could all be avoided with three little chapters in a little tiny letter in the back of your Bible called Titus. Value this letter. It is the very word of God because this letter has been so ignored. We have the downfall of the church, the downfall of leaders, We need this little letter at Trinity Community Church. We need it. Now, I've wanted to do a a little series of lunches with different age groups. Uh, I've wanted to gather the 50 and olders together um, for a lunch to exhort you and to say some specific things uh, to that age group. And I've wanted to do another lunch with say, 30 to 50, and then another lunch with under 30s. Uh, We haven't been able to do that. It's actually been on the calendar a few times and canceled a number of times before we ever brought it to you. Um, Well, Titus affords me the opportunity to address us in our differing seasons. I still want to do the lunches. We'll still do it someday, (laughs) so... Please be invited when that comes around. But for now, let Titus serve as a bit of an introduction to those lunches. That will take place one day. Because of all of that, the plan was actually for me to preach this morning verses 1 through 10. But as I sat down to begin to prepare and work on the message, it just seemed... uh, perhaps by the leading of the Lord, appropriate for us to slow down chapter 2. And uh, so this morning, we'll just be preaching verses 1 and 2, what Rick just read for us. Chapter 2, though, is this beautiful display of how doctrine is to function. Or when I say function, I mean, how is it to be lived out? How does doctrine land in our living rooms? Well, that's what chapter 2 is doing here for us. It's showing us that very thing. 
And so what Paul will do um, in speaking to Titus, he's going to address, <clears throat> he's going to address older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and then slaves. Let's pause and pray and we'll dive in. Father, we ask for your wisdom right now. Lord, in particular, I pray for our older men who are in the auditorium this morning and who are watching via the live stream. And I pray that you would address each one of us by your word. Lord, and I pray for the younger men and I pray for the women and the younger women that they would recognize, oh, wow, what a, what a need we have for the kind of older man that's being described here and being exhorted by Paul to Titus in the church. Lord, I pray that you would stir all of our hearts this morning, whether it's specifically the text specifically addressing us or others. I pray that we would lean into your word and, 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 and love your word this morning by how we might not only listen but apply your word. Help us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Verse 1. But as for you. But as for you. Do you, do you hear the contrast? Were, were you here last week? That, those words, but as for you, it should be an indicator. If you're a student of the word, the immediate thing you should be thinking is, what did he just say? I just did I, what did I miss? Right? But as for you, we can't just drop in in the middle of, even though there's a chapter break, it wasn't original. This is a letter. You would have sat down. You would have heard the, the letter read to you from start to the finish. You wouldn't say, chapter two, we're coming back next week. All right? So be reminded of Christian sermon last week. What was, what was Paul addressing? What was he bringing to Titus? What's the issue here in the church there in Crete? Christian helped us to see last week that there are goats, wolves, and sheep. And the danger in Crete wasn't necessarily the goats that were out there on the outside of the walls of the church, but it was rather the wolf that it comes in sheep's clothing. It's the false teacher inside the walls of the church. And so that's the contrast. That's what Paul's been addressing in Titus. And, and then he says, but as for you. And that's really where the real danger is. It's why we all need to be students of our Bible. Can I encourage you? Don't take my word for it or whoever's standing behind this pulpit preaching each Sunday. Don't take their word for it. Go to the word of God. Don't take our word for it. Study the word. Be a man of the word. Be a woman of the word. Dig in, read it, memorize it, study it. Be a Berean is what we like to say, all right? Berean, that comes from Acts chapter 17. Says this, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And here, here's, here's what they did. They received the word with all eagerness. Pause. Thank you. I believe we have a church that receives the word with all eagerness. We like to say, you're leaning in to the word. Thank you for being that. Here's what else they did. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's the apostle Paul, all right? That was the response of these um, 
these uh, believers here in Berea, they, they leaned in, they received it with eagerness, and then they went home, they examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. I exhort you to do the same. Do the same. Be a Berean, be a student of God's word. Let me ask you this. If I were a false teacher, would you know it? Maybe, some. The only way you'd know it is if you know your word. You need to know your word. Don't take my word for it. Let me ask you this. If you were a false teacher, would you know it? Because all of us are teachers. We're all teaching. Teaching's always going on. Does your teaching, mom, dad, husband, wife, student, teacher, professor, friend, does it accord with Scripture? He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Why? Well, because what you believe will always have an effect on what you do. What you believe affects life. It affects how you live. Believing affects behavior. Really, the exhortation, thank you, Justin, in leading us, in exhorting us in worship. What he was saying there, where did he begin? He began with doctrine, and he's saying that should affect our hands and our mouths in worship of him. He's saying we don't want this this exhortation to be some sort of religious thing, but what he's saying is allow doctrine to affect how you live in these next 20 minutes as we sing. Because believing affects behavior. Doctrine matters. Doctrine is to land in our living rooms. Doctrine is to land in our cars when we're driving to work. Doctrine is to land in the car when we're in a traffic jam. Doctrine lands in the doctor's office when the doctor says, I'm sorry, but your disease is very aggressive. That's a doctrine moment. We need doctrinal truth in those moments. Doctrine lands in the darkest and most difficult moments of life. It's not some distant thing. It's not something that's out there. It's not something that, well, we'll wait for those moments to kind of dig into some doctrine. No, no, it's this. But as for you, Titus, and I want to say, but as for you, church, Trinity Community Church, teach, he says teach. He mentions it often. He says it here in verse 1, teach what accords. He mentions it in verse 3 when he's talking to, uh, in regards to the older women, are to teach what is good. And then the young man, verse number 7, is to teach with integrity, dignity, and sound speech. We'll be getting to those in the weeks to come. And then he closes this section out in verse 15. He says, declare these things. And so, believer, brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, recognize you have a teaching role in the church. Your teaching might be done at the dinner table. Your teaching might be done on the couch. Your teaching might be in front of a whiteboard or behind a coffee cup. But know this, we're all teaching. And the only question that remains is, are we teaching what accords with sound doctrine. And I do. I want to thank you, moms and dads. I want to thank the 
children's ministry teachers and grandmas and grandpas and community group leaders and the elders and those who stand behind this pulpit and preach. Thank you. But can I appeal to us? Can I ask you, can you, can you grow in your conviction to teach? You might say, well, I'll ask you, do you want a, a better, more faithful, more God-honoring church than brothers and sisters? Let us take Titus chapter 2, verse 1, seriously. Seriously. Paul to Timothy says it like this, 1 Timothy 4, 16, keep a close Watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. You see, Christ came, died, rose, resurrected, sent his spirit, will return again. Those truths, those are doctrinal truths. Those are to affect life, how we do life, how we go about our day. Your doctrine of the sovereignty of God and his promise, his providence is to affect life. Your doctrine of the immutability of God, fancy word, just means God's never changing. He always is. That's to affect life. Doctrine matters. It matters for your parenting and your marriage and your dating and your going to work and working hard at your job that you perhaps don't even like. It affects how you go to work at the job that you don't like. Doctrine affects relationships and church life and forgiveness and love and acceptance and racism and human dignity. Doctrine affects lifestyle and immorality and pornography and suffering and mission and preaching and serving in the children's ministry and serving as a greeter or serving on the security team and on and on and on it goes. Doctrine affects all of that and so much more. Doctrine goes from one's mind, this is knowledge, to one's heart, this is worship and passion, to one's life, this is function. But you might be here and you might think, yeah, but I'm not the doctrine guy. Can I challenge you in that? It's too difficult. It's too heady. Perhaps you're thinking, I just kind of prefer to run from doctrine. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine's difficult or doctrine maybe even is divisive. It is divisive. That was the previous section. <laughs> Paul is calling on Titus to be divisive towards the false teacher. I appeal to you not to think of it in such terms that, okay, doctrine is for the scholar or doctrine is for the pastor or doctrine is for the heady guy. Doctrine is for the church. It's much needed. Now, I remember coming into some of the things that Justin was talking about earlier. We'll call them the doctrines of grace. I remember early on when I'm coming into those doctrines of grace and I'm just... First of all, I'm struggling. Second of all, as I'm starting to be convinced scripturally about those, I am overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed and I'm literally thinking I'll never be able to teach these because I can't figure them out. It's okay. <laughs> That's how I felt. That's exactly how I felt. <laughs> I was crying. 
help me, Lord, what am I going to do? And I was completely overwhelmed. I lost sleep over it. I think you probably should too, because you're wrestling with these truths. And I'm still overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed in a different way now. I'm overwhelmed in awe. That was the fruit of the exercise. Let me wrestle with God. Let me wrestle with Scripture. Let me wrestle with these truths. Doctrine functions in worship. Doctrine is, is again, not, wasn't, wasn't intending to keep referring to that exhortation, but it was just so good. Doctrine is the reason why my hands go in the air. Doctrine is the reasons why I'm clapping. Doctrine is the reason why we lift our voices in exclamation. Praise be to our God. Do we realize, do we recognize the doctrinal truths that we just sang a few minutes ago? Are we so dull to those truths? Or, or, or perhaps, do we even know these truths? Do you, do you know the depths of your sin before a holy God? It's almost as if I could say, how can we just stand there? Wow, what a God that he is mindful of me and of you. What mercy we sing of each Sunday. And doctrine informs that. It informs why we sing and why we clap and why we might find ourselves shouting or raising our hands each week. Doctrine, beyond that, doctrine is why we repent. Doctrine is the very reason why we rejoice. Doctrine is the reason for evangelism. It's why we proclaim. It's doctrine. Doctrine matters. So, but as for you, Trinity Community Church, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Our goal at Trinity is to do just that. Preaching is important at Trinity. It's why we preach through books of the Bible. It's why we say context matters. We've already said it this morning. It's why we preach Titus. And then we're going to go where? We're going to go to the Psalms of Presence. I, uh, I met with uh, a little group. Uh, it's our Reform Theology Equip Discipleship Group met with them yesterday morning. Love meeting with them. We're in, a, we're in a living room on some Saturdays together, and we're reading some really difficult things. Um, we're reading some things that are hard, and they're challenging. Um, can I encourage you? Don't shy away from that. Don't shy away from that. Don't, don't shy away from a big, fat theology book. Don't shy away from the Bible study. It's going to teach you how to dig into God's word. Don't shy away from the equip class that are offered at various times throughout the year. Final thought on verse one. Our goal is not to fill all these seats. That's not, that's not what drives us Sunday after Sunday. Our, our goal is not, how do we get these seats filled? Now, we want seats filled we want people hearing Jesus, about Jesus. So, yeah, of course, but that's not what drives us. The goal, actually, verse number one, put your eyes on it. Let's read it together. Verse one. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Thank you, both of you. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. <laughs> My mom's always with me. She's reading with me. 
But as for you, secondly, older men, older men. Ladies, let me speak to you a moment. Please feel free, ladies, to amen during this portion of the sermon. Not out of a sense of, I'm ribbing the men, but out of a sense of encouragement. Oh, come on, guys. Come on, guys. As a source of encouragement, because I believe our men need to be encouraged in what we're going to to preach here. Secondly, second group, young people. Young people, do not ignore this portion of the scripture. Do not ignore it. Two reasons why. One day, number one, one day you will be that older guy or that older woman in an auditorium. One day you're going to be here, guys. And I know that can feel a long way off, but you will join with the rest of us and go, wow, that was quick. (laughs) Or I like to say, what happened? I don't know. What happened? What happened? So you'll be here sooner than you think. Number two, young people, you need to humbly recognize you need older, godly men and godly women in your life. Don't waste what is available to you. Avail yourself to it. Alistair Begg says, while we recognize that the future of the church lies in children and our teens, etc., the stability of the church and the development of the church and the modeling of Christian character within the church is what which falls to older men and older women. We like to talk about, oh, you're the future of the church, and then we tell the young people, oh, no, actually, you're the church now, and you are. You're the church now. That's true. But let us not ignore the reality we need older men and older women at Trinity. Guests have regularly commented over the years. They come here and they say, wow, you've got a lot of young people. How did you get so many young people? We didn't do anything to get so many young people. It's not our intent to do something to make that happen. But praise be to God for the young people that he's given us in the room. Praise be to God for that. There's something healthy about that, having young people in the room. But let me pause and say again to all the young people in the room, get involved. Get involved, okay? So you heard from Josiah a little bit ago. He leads our Resolve ministry. It's our, parent, our student um, ministry, and that meets first and third Sunday of the month. And if you're junior high or high school age, get involved in that, 18 to 38, Christian leads that. It's the first Thursday of the month. That's for all those who fall in that 18 to 38 range. Get involved in that. Equip classes for all of us. They're available for all of us. Again, um, community groups. Listen, you come to Resolved. The the goal there is not fun and games. Now, they're going to have fun, and sometimes they're going to play games. But can I tell you the goal? It's to teach your young people but as for you, young people, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And so they're going to dig into the Word. And they're going to work through books of the Bible. And they're going to learn, how do I study God's Word? They're going to dig into God's Word. Thank you, Josiah, teaching sound doctrine and equipping our young people to then be able to do the same. But that said, we don't just want a young church. 
We're grateful for young people, but we're, uh, our aim is not, let's just have a young church as if a young church is a better church. It's not a better church. We want all ages to come and to worship Jesus and to celebrate what he's accomplished in our lives. And we want to do that with the young person, 17 years of age, standing next to the older person, 70 years of age, hands lifted high, worshiping God for his doctrinal truths, the atonement of Jesus. Christ brought into our lives. Praise be to God. We want all of that. And to the older men and the older women, you're not done. You're not done. Yes, you might be more limited than you've ever been. We're all moving towards more and more limited than we've ever been. All of us are. You might have less energy, you might have less ability, but you're not done in the church of Jesus Christ. We need your maturity, your wisdom, and your experience. You might have little left to give. We need your example then. Come and be an example of a worshiper of God. So, older men, of which... I, the New Testament scholars would say he's addressing 50 and older. I don't know where they come up with that. Actually, I do. I've read enough to know that there was a cultural thing and whatnot. But that said, I kind of struggled with that because I found myself in the text in a way I wasn't prepared for. 50 and older. So I'm in there and I'm preaching to myself. Let me allow, allow me to address us this morning. Because, hear me, older men, culture might be dismissing you. And you even might be dismissing you. But scripture does not dismiss you. It speaks to you. It addresses you right where you're at. No back seats. Older men, who are you to be in the church of the living God? No one? Simply retired and done? I don't think so. Verse 2. Actually, I'll start in verse 1 again. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Let's pick those apart a little bit. Sober-minded. It means to be free from intoxication. To be sober-minded. It means temperate. It means to not be overindulging. This certainly would include drunkenness, but it's not just drunkenness, all right? Many older men today are intoxicated, intoxicated perhaps with the TV, intoxicated with the news, intoxicated with hobbies, and intoxicated, intoxicated with drunkenness, with alcohol. And there's this, there can be even this intoxication with just desire to be young again. Or, and this is where it gets weird, to appear to be young again. About, I'll say, 20 years ago, people would come and visit Trinity. And uh, 20 years ago, we were actually a lot younger as a church. It wasn't healthy. And elderly people would visit, and they would look around the room and 
there's nobody here my age. There would be a comment that would be made, and I would just appeal to them, please stay. Please stay. Um, Because if I can't get you to stay, then next week another elderly couple will come, and they're going to say the same thing. How do you know? Because that's what's happened. <laughs> like that just was the regular rhythm. And I'm just, please, please stay. Thank you. Some of you stayed. Thank you for staying. But now the word is instructing us that we are to be men of a certain sort, a certain character in the church. And there's leadership in that. As older men, we should be men who have learned something in life. We've learned what matters in life and what value we're to place on things in life. And we are to be, we are to have this sober mindedness about us, sober about, about, about the things that truly matter. It's what the church needs. It's what culture needs. Sober about making sure the important things don't get neglected. Sober about being an example. Sober about greed. Or about one's sin. It means temperate, sober-minded. Yes, it does include sober-minded towards alcohol. That's not good leadership. It's not sober-minded. But men, older men, hear the call on your life. Hear the word exhorting you. Be sober-minded. Second, it says dignified. It means worthy of respect. There's There's this seriousness about you there's this um you're you're a respectable man this is to be um this seriousness of purpose about you and i it's not far separated from sober-minded it's this sense that you've lived a bit and you have a sense of things life things and as a follower of christ eternal things this is not saying you're a killjoy. Dignify doesn't mean that you're never laughing it up, but it does mean there's, there's, well, there is a reason why culture has a phrase and it's grumpy old man. You're not that. You're not that. Paul's not calling you to be a dignified grump. He's calling you to be a respectable older man. You're to be sober-minded, worthy of respect, not only because you have a certain age to you, but because as a follower of Christ, you have something worth offering to a younger generation. Now that's completely opposed to our culture, what I just said. That makes no sense outside these doors. And so... Guys, we buy the lie of culture. And we take ourselves out of the game, if you will. Men be dignified, meaning be respectable in such a way that honors your God and Savior. And you come to the prayer meeting, 50 and plus year olds, and you take us to the throne room of God in prayer. And you lead us in worship. And you lead us to exalt him who is worthy of such worship. You are on Sunday mornings here. Again, it doesn't matter. Your, your, your ability, your energy, your, your capacity may be decreasing. Nonetheless, you're here to show off your God to a younger generation. Do you remember Bob White? He used to sit right about where Amanda is. 
Remember Bob? Those of you who are here, you'll know immediately. It's while I was preaching, it was glory, glory, glory. And you would hear him sometimes during the singing, glory. I miss that voice. It was never boisterous. It was never done in any sort of way to call attention to himself. It was a heartfelt, appropriate response to doctrine. It was dignified. It was sober about the things of God. May there be more 50-plus-year-olds. Glory, glory, glory. Where are the men who are physically declining, and yet they proclaim the glories of God to a younger generation? Where are the 50-plus-year-olds saying, you know what? I have a lifetime of experience of failures. Let's do coffee. I can help you and spare you from the same mistakes. We literally have a community group that's saying, can we have some older folks? Because we're too young. Can you? Huh? We're too young. We need some more older folks in the room. We need help. It's not healthy. We only have young people. We need their voice. We need their wisdom. We need their leadership. Praise be to God for that kind of sentiment. Where are the retired men who are saying, put me to work. Find something for me to do. I've got a bit more time on my hands than I used to. So Rick, Jason, deacon of the building. Can I do some things? Can I fix some things at the building? Who can I offer a hand to? Our culture says you're retired, which means you've earned the right to be self-absorbed and to spend out your remaining years on yourself. No responsibility. Have all the fun you can have before you die. And can I say, by all means, have fun as a retired man. Absolutely. But do so with an eye on Scripture and the church, and the mission. Richard Phillips writes, How different is the Bible's view of old age compared to that of Western society? Many Americans look forward to their senior years as a time of frivolous self-absorption. But the Christian does not see his senior years as one last chance for fun before dying. Rather, he knows that eternity draws near in the joyful rest of heaven with Jesus Christ. While he lives, the godly older man wants to leverage his experience and relationships to make as big an impact for the kingdom as possible. What a phrase. Thank you, Mr. Phillips. While he lives, the gold, godly older man wants to leverage his experience and relationships to make as big an impact for the kingdom as possible, especially longing to lead younger people to faith in Jesus. Older men in the room, for which apparently the scholars say, I am one. You and I are not yet done in the church of Jesus Christ. Yes. Trinity needs you. It needs your leadership. It needs your example. If nothing else, abilities fail you, then thank you for your godly leadership 
in your example of following Christ. We need you to cultivate your vision for the kingdom of God. There's a reality. We're getting older. We get older physically. We get older mentally. And so please hear me, older men. What I'm not saying, I'm not trying to guilt trip you into something beyond your limitations. God's limits upon us. You're not to be regretful or guilty. You, you, you can't be somewhere that you're not. It's okay. Thank you for your godly example for being here. God gives us limits in this life, and one day the limits of a failing body and a failing mind will one day be over. But for now, limits are a part of the reality. So older men, verse 2, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Self-controlled. There should be a mark about the older man of restraint in that you are no longer a kid. You're not a teenager. You've come to terms with who you are. You have age to you that's taught you to no longer be the kid who did those foolish, dumb things when you were younger. Self-controlled. You can hear how these words are intertwined. Sound in faith, love, and steadfastness, he says. When I hear this, I think of um, this man who's to be sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. And it takes me right to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Lord. Hear my heart, our heart. Give us that older man, that Psalm 1 man. A sound man of faith, love, and steadfastness. First of all, faith. Faith, faith. We've talked about it recently. Not faith in faith's sake. Faith in God. Faith in God. Faith in what God has accomplished. This is... Certainly, Paul's speaking to Titus here. He's he's, he's saying this is a man of his Bible. He's a sound man of faith. Faith in what? Faith in the truth of who God is and what he's accomplished. The Bible and his life experience has taught him, I will place my faith in God. A sound older man in faith, trusting God more and more and more as the years build up rather than less and less. Old man, lead us in your sound faith. Lead us in your non-casual faith of God. Lead us in your non-nominal faith in God. Lead us in your faith. Let your life be a teacher to us saying to the newly married saying to the college student, saying to the, to the overwhelmed, trust in God. 
Hear my voice, young person. Trust in God. Because my God has shown he's faithful. I've walked where you've walked. He's sound in love. This is not a touchy-feely love. This is a sound love. It, it is to say, it is a rooted love. It's an anchored love. It's not grumpy. It's not cold. It's a love for God. It's a love for others. He's sound in steadfastness. Hear that. What is Endurance. He's sound in endurance. He's been running that race. Oh, Lord. It, uh, it, I pause. It just gives me chills to consider. Let all the 50-year-olds and older in the room finish well for the glory of God. Finish well. It's great that you started, but finish well, men. The word calls us to something more. It's something more than, hey, I've retired. I'm done. I'm gone fishing. I'll do what I want to do. I'm retired, man. Now, you young men, you, you figure it out. I had to figure it out by myself. Well, sorry, <laughs> but let's not be that church. Let's help the young man figure it out. The idea of I'm retired now, I'm done. No, the, the word calls us to something more. God called you out of this world, and he still is doing so. Be a man who might one day join with Paul, as Paul, the old man, wrote in his prison cell, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. May we all, all of us, come to a day where we might be able to say that if the worship team would join me, but please don't be distracted. I want us to consider, to close, I want us to consider Joshua and Caleb. Caleb, we're told in scripture, was 40 years old when he went with Joshua to spy out the land. Did you know that? He's 40 years old. He came back. 10 of them, uh-uh. Two of them, we can, I know God. I know, my God, we can take that land. Well, that's pretty cool, 40-year-old. Later in life, Scripture tells us, 85, it's when he says, sign me up for non-retirement mentality. Sign me up for non-coasting. Sign me up. Let me read it to you. It won't be on your screen, but hear me. Joshua 14, verses 10 through 12. And now, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said. This is Caleb. These 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness, he's referring to that episode. Twelve come back. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me. Oh, I love that. 
Oh, it might be. <laughs> let's go take the hill. 85-year-old. He's saying, let's take the hill and maybe the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Oh, Lord, give us this man. These are reasons why the series went from one week to two weeks or three weeks or who knows, or chapter two did. He then closes, and we'll reference this more in the weeks to come, but two, two incentives for this. Old man, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's one incentive. Wish we could preach it. Next week. And then verse 13, second incentive. Waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? First hope, the grace of God. Second hope, Christ is returning. Lord, help us. Let's stand together and let's respond in worship to our God. All praise be to him.